welcome to our Kingdom Culture Podcast. For today's message, we are thankful for what God is doing through this podcast to encourage and transform lives around the world. If you have a story to share about how God has encouraged or transformed your life through this podcast, we would love to hear about it by emailing us at mystory@kingdomculture.ca. If you would like to support this ministry financially to help us bring messages like this to you every week, you can do so online at kingdomculture.ca at the give option. We also would love to connect with you on our social media, on Instagram and Twitter at KC Ottawa and Facebook at Facebook slash Kingdom Culture Ottawa. We pray that you would experience God today and be encouraged through today's message. Enjoy! Hey Kingdom Culture, so glad that you're with us this morning. You know, we've been an incredible, incredible season for months now uh, under the theme Revive 2020. And we've been talking about many different topics that we believe God wants to revive our heart in, revive our perspective, revive our mind in. And I'm so excited for all the, the guests that we've been able to have so far. It's been absolutely incredible. And today we have another guest with us, and his name is Jim Bone, locally here in Ottawa, Ontario, Canada. Someone that I've known for some time now. I want to welcome Jim. Jim, what's going on? Hey, Sean, man, I tell you what, it's uh, great, great being here. I mean, the sunny weather is with us. Um, man, you know, we're in Canada in the summer. What other place could we be? We're in the nation's capital. And uh, so good to see you. So good to be with Kingdom Culture today. Really looking forward to the time we're going to share and, and spend time, uh, you know, uh, talking about some key issues in our lives. So this is fantastic. That's awesome. Hey, and I got to ask you this question. You know, you being uh, someone who's an energetic individual, sort of a, a busy guy, how have you been enjoying quarantine this last season? Oh, well, you know, um, the only thing that kept me sane, Sean, is I was like, man, I mean, obviously it was tough. An A personality sitting in uh, four walls was very difficult. But I think the only thing that kind of kept me a little bit, you know, okay was I kept thinking, okay, if this is our war in our lifetime and I still get Wi-Fi and I still can go through the drive through and I still get some great food and I can, you know, watch TV. I said, if this is our war, it's a different perspective and I'll try to be thankful in all things. So kind of that kind of kept me uh, sane. And, and the other part of it is it, you know, you knew we're coming out of it. You knew it was going to, it was just a, something we were going to go through. It was going to pass. Uh, and that's a great thing about being a believer is, you know, you know, God has this thing. And so that, that's what the great encouragement uh, for me was. That's awesome. Well, man, I'm so excited that you're here with us this morning. And I just believe, I just believe in this conversation, God's really going to pull out some powerful substance. And, um, you know, today's topic, today's subject, for those that are watching and are going to listen to this after, is actually under the banner of Revive Generosity the calling over us all. We are all called to be generous. And I think in seasons like we've just been in globally, it's very easy to, to kind of stop and, and kind of drop everything and just hoard and hold out of fear. We don't know how the economic uh, system's going to shake down. We don't know what's going to happen in the future. And if there was ever a time where generosity even needs to be even more intense in our lives and a focus, it's now. And I believe that God wants to revive a generous spirit in this season, not only in the body of Christ, but just in general, that all of us have an ability to be generous. It's the calling really over us all. And it connects back to John 3, 
verse 16, of course, you know, God so loved humanity, so loved everyone that he gave. He, he, he the generous act of, of really giving his son into the earth to die was so that we would have life, a relationship with God, be reconciled and restored back to our, the original, the, the original plan to know God in relationship. So we're talking about revived generosity today. And I want to open up with a scripture and then we're going to dive in, Jim, and just kind of go back and forth. And I want to pull from your story, you know, your journey, because you've been, you know, you've been in the financial industry now for 31 years. You have four kids. Your life is an inspiring one on so many levels. You're honestly one of the most generous guys I've ever met. And uh, the reason why I want to open up with uh, a scripture out of Romans 12, verse 8, because I really feel like it defines who you are. And it says in Romans 12, verse 8, if your gift is to encourage others, be encouraging. If it is giving, give generously. I love it. It's not just give. If it's, if your gift is give, just give. Uh, You know, Paul says to, to the church here, to the believers here, he says, if your gift is giving, give it generously, like go above and beyond what's just normal, what's just maintenance. And if you break that word generously down, one of the definitions in the Greek actually means to give without folds or without complication. And I think when it comes to generosity, often we're so complicated with it. With it, We, we have to think through 10 different, 20 different things before it gets out of our hands. And I, one of the things I love about you, Jim, is that you, you know, you have shown, I know even in my own life, Michelle's life, the, the gift of generosity. You model this, you live it, you have an authority in this area, but you really, you're not complicated about it. You don't, you don't complicate the giving. You're not over complicating. You don't give with conditions. When it, you break down that word without folds, it literally means to like give with no conditions. It's like the guy that buys the, the guy at the restaurant, the dinner, and then says, oh, you get me next time. Well, that's kind of giving with conditions. It's complicated. Now you feel like it wasn't really a gift. It was a gift with an intention behind it. But with you, I feel like you're just generous with no expectation, no complication. You live this Romans 12, 8 gift out in your life. And so I want to talk to you today, man, about where it all started. Like, how did you get to this place? You didn't always have money. And I know that generosity just isn't about finances, you know, it could be our time, our gifts, our talents. But today, I want to kind of stay on this idea of financial generosity because that's something that you've lived and you breathe on an everyday. But you weren't always at this place. You know, you grew up, from what I understand, I think in Timmins, in a very different scenario. You had a rough childhood. You didn't have money. You kind of grew up poor. Bring us along a journey of how you got to the place that you are today. And maybe just start off by saying where you are today and then bring the the people on a journey of where you started from. Yeah, thanks, Sean. Uh, Well, a few things. First of all, I want to encourage everybody that you're right. It's a journey of generosity. It didn't happen overnight because I'll be sharing about, you know, where I was before I met Christ. And I, I don't think I had any generosity. But what happened is coming to him. God puts a new heart in each one of us, and he put a new heart in me. And so anyways, a little bit about my story is uh, I was born in, in Ottawa here uh, just over 50 years ago. Now, you notice I said just over because I'm, I'm having a harder time coming up with the real age. But anyways, just over 50 years ago. Um, 
That if you do the U.S. conversion of my age, I'm only 38, Sean. Just want to let you know that. <laughs> just being upfront with you, okay? But, anyways, uh, uh, 50 years ago, and it was at a home actually for teenage mothers uh, that got pregnant. And uh, so, you know, right away, I was put up for adoption, and uh, I had the abandonment wound right from the get-go, all right? You know, words, things are communicated, even though we may not understand them, and it's in the womb, and it's pre-memory, but things like, you know, I don't want this baby, uh, why has this happened to me, uh, although it's pre, you know, pre-memory, it still gives a rejection wound. And so that luck of love from the mother was passed on to me, and so what happened when I was born in Ottawa... Uh, I was then put into the foster system, and I went from foster home to foster home to foster home um, until I was adopted about a year later. And I was adopted in a place called Sudbury, which is about four or five hours north of Ottawa. And then I was raised uh, in a place called Timmins. Uh, now, you can see from this picture here, this yellow apartment, this is the second floor. Uh, this is where I lived when I was, uh, you know, f from about age three to about seven. Uh, my dad was electrician. Mom didn't work outside of the home. Uh, but my childhood uh, was plagued with abuse. Uh, you know, my dad, how he dealt with uh, economic times of the oil crisis in the 70s and recession. And, and, and when he lost his job, uh, how he dealt with the pain in his life is he drank. But when he drank... Uh, he became very violent, and so I became a, a victim, Sean, of child abuse, uh, physical abuse, emotional abuse, mental abuse. Uh, my dad used to, you know, beat, beat me almost on a weekly basis. And it wasn't the, you know, physical beatings, I think, that had the longer-term effect on me. It was the emotional abuse. It was the words. Uh, I, I remember my mother say, uh, sharing with me, you know, the, the only reason why we adopted you is because nobody else wanted you. And so those words kind of linger on for years and years. Um, and, you know, and, and my dad, when he was, you know, physically present at times, he was an emotionally absent father. He showed uh, no interest in me whatsoever. And so, you know, out of that wound, um, it just, you know, it really from everything from the, uh, the birth mother to the adoptive parents, it really sent me a message as a little boy uh, that you don't belong, you know, you, that your life doesn't matter. And so, like everybody that has maybe issues from their childhood, uh, the difference is when I was 16 years of age, my dad was, uh, he called me up, he was on his way home from a hunting trip, and he says, when I get home, uh, I'm either going to kill you or I'm going to cripple you. And I knew he was a man of his word, and I knew I had to leave, I knew I had to go. And so what happened is I moved into this pink house, as you can see on the screen here, and uh, Sean, it had about eight rooms for rent. I tell people uh, my room was about, you know, three feet by eight feet. It was so small I had to walk out of the room just to change my mind, okay? <laughs> um, but that, that was my home. That's where I kind of, you know, I lived from age 16, uh, 17, age 18. And so that's where, you know, I had to grow up a lot quicker than most people, um, you know, paying rent and bills, et cetera, at age 16 years of age. I worked for 40, 50 hours a week, going to high school, still, you know, working at McDonald's for $3 an hour. That's how I supported myself. And, uh, but the challenge was I had all this pain in my life, like a lot of people have. And we, and, and, and I always try to share with people that there's different ways of medicating the pain, uh, in our, from our childhood. You, some people it's alcohol, some people it's, uh, uh, you know, drugs, some people's gambling, it could be shopping, it could be overeating, it could be uh, gambling, it, there's so many things it could be. 
And so for me, it was a little bit of the alcohol, but for me, it was more uh, the women, going from women to women to women. And uh, that left me with a deep void, uh, an emptiness. And uh, what happened is that, that pattern continued, Sean, right into my early 20s. And, you know, a lot in my adult life. And the purpose really back then of a woman was instead of offering the godly strength that God intends for us to cherish that woman, I was going from the women to take from her. I was seeking validation from a woman. And I would go to take from her. And that's and when when you do that, you're actually going to the counterfeit because you see only person that can give you that validation is God the Father himself. And so what happened is I got to a point where uh, I became very, very, very empty. Uh, I had moved to Ottawa in the, in the uh, 1987, attended a, uh, a three-year college course. And, um, you know, it was at that point, I was in my book my third year. Uh, I got into business. But what happened was I was still dealing with a lot of the pain in my life, again, going from women to women. And... Um, it was just right at that point where I had met a girl and she invited me, Sean, out to church. And when she invited me out to church, I never forget. It was like, you know, um, I was kind of somewhat interested, but I wasn't. And I remember thinking, I said, well, you know, I'll go out and party and I'll just show up the next morning. And, and so for whatever reason, it was, you know, when God gets a hold of your life, it was like all of a sudden it was I woke up at a time, and it was like a half hour before the church, and it dawned in my head, I said, I got to go to church. You know, this girl invited me, and I probably didn't go with the purest motives at that point in time, but I'll never forget, uh, I showed up at church, and it set me on a path over about a six-week period of asking a lot of questions, a lot of questions that a lot of maybe new believers have, and I had those same, same questions, but at the end of the day, uh, it was November of 1990, and uh, it, it was incredible because what happened was it was that decision for Christ. See, I had, I had a lot of questions. Who is Jesus? Who is God? Who's the Father? It, it, it was just so new to me. But one thing I can share with people is that I had tried to fill this void, this emptiness, this vacuum. Uh, nothing could fill it. Uh, didn't matter if it was alcohol, women to women, nothing, nothing could fill it. And then when I made a decision for Christ, it was the first touch from him. Now, I want to let you know, Sean, that what happened is I made a decision for Christ, like a lot of believers do. But I'm going to be honest, I never made a commitment for Christ. You see, you, you and I know we can make a decision to join a gym, but a commitment to get in shape are two different things. And so I made a decision I never followed it up with, you know, discipleship and learning that whole surrendering to Christ on a almost on a daily basis. And so, what happened is uh, I got I, I got married very quickly in uh, in, in uh, early 1991, but the marriage really dissolved after uh, about three or four years. And uh, a lot of it was I had still all this pain in my life, and there was a pattern that when the pain and the emptiness and certain things started to come back because I had not dealt with the root of my life, then I went back to some old familiar patterns that just weren't healthy. Anyways, needless to say, um, that marriage ended in divorce. And then I just went on a journey, Sean, of saying, you know, I'm going to try to fill this hole, this vacuum, this emptiness, this void, everything. I'm, I'm going to try to fill it my way, you know, and... 
I'm going to tell you what, and that's probably why I'm here today, is my way didn't work too well. I tried to fill it with, if it wasn't materialism, if it wasn't making, I remember I was making about a, almost 200000 a year at that point. And I remember thinking, I said, you know, maybe if I get to three or four hundred grand a year, you know, I'm just going to start to float and the money's going to take care of all the issues. And Sean, when I got there, it became even more emptier. And wow. so I remember thinking, well, maybe it's materialism, maybe it's, you know, and I, and, and I went on that journey and I remember buying a Porsche with a turbo kit and, you know, fast cars wouldn't do it. And I got a boat and I got a bigger boat and a faster boat and an offshore and that wouldn't do it. It didn't matter what I did. Sean, I just, I, I couldn't fill the void. And then I met Trish, my wife, um, and uh, we dated in about 1996 and uh, 97. And, and what happened was, you know, during that infatuation stage, everything's great. But see, again, my heart, Sean, was, I was still kind of going to the woman looking for the validation. And so we had a great, you know, that dating stage, infatuation, whatever you want to call it. And then we got married in, 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 in June of 1998. And then within about 12 months, the same familiar patterns start to pop up. It got so bad, Sean, that on February 3rd of uh, 2000, uh, I had my son Brock. He was about one years of age at this time. Anyways, we talked about having a separation, and it was on February 3rd. Wow. You see, the next day, on February 4th, at 2 p.m. in the afternoon, I was involved in a very, very serious snowmobile accident where I should have been decapitated. I, I had lacerations from a barbed wire fence, you know, around my neck. I shouldn't be decapitated. Uh, it ripped off everything on the snowmobile in the front. And what happened is I hit this fence at a high speed. And, I, you know, I was working out at the time. I don't know if my arms were as big as yours, Sean, but I was kind of working <laughs> on them, right? Oh, come um, on. They definitely but, weren't. You know that. <laughs> yeah, I know. Well, some things aren't possible in this lifetime. I know, but I'm still working at it. But anyway, uh, I, I grabbed the handlebars, and I held on with everything I could. And what happened is my body went forward, and my left leg hit the handlebar and snapped my femur in half and threw me beside the snowmobile. And in hindsight, God used that to really save my life because I should have been decapitated. Um, and it was at that point, Sean, I, 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 you know, people said, did you ever hear God's voice before? Uh, if he was talking, let's just say I wasn't tuned into the right radio station. I never really heard him. But anyways, it was at that point, I had a friend with me. He went back for help. And I laid in a snowbank at 20 below zero, and I had this impression I don't know if it was a voice. I don't know if it was an impression in my spirit, but it was like, Jim, do I have your attention? And I'll never forget. It was like, God, if you get me out of this, I'll get to know who you are. Okay, so let me ask you, you a question. Are. This is how many years after you first, like you said, it made a decision to let Jesus into your life. How many years from the snowball, snowmobile accident and then you know, going back to when you made that decision? Uh, it would be uh, almost nine years. Almost nine years. So you make a decision, but like you said, you had never really tuned into his frequency. You kind of, you made the decision, but maybe it was more of a uh, a religious exercise than it was a relational one. And then, you know, at this point, this juncture, now you're like finally all in. Is that what you're saying? Like this snowy locks that kind of like tipped it over the... Tipped it over the edge for you. You're like, now I'm all in God. Like everything I have, everything I own, all of me is yours. Is that kind of, was that the mentality that you had in that moment? Uh, I would say very quickly after that, what happened is once, you know, I got airlifted out of there and um, the only Christian person I knew was from someone from here in, in Ottawa. His name was Lyle. 
And uh, after, you know, the two, three months of physiotherapy and the cane and all that stuff, and, and I called him up and I said, look it, I said, let me ask you a question. I said, first of all, I want to meet with you. So we met at, uh, at a Montana's and I, and I sat down with him eyeball to eyeball, only Christian guy I knew. And I basically said, and this is what I said to him, Sean, I said, look him in the eye. And I said, two things I want to know. Number one, can your God, can he fix this void, this emptiness, this hole, this vacuum that nothing else can fill? And the second question, can he heal my marriage? I was desperate. I came to the end of myself. I tried everything. If there was another way, I bet you I would have tried. I, I tried everything. I was desperate. And I'll never forget this. And I don't remember what he said. It was how he said it. And he says, God will not only restore it, it'll be better than it's ever been. Your marriage, your relationship, everything. So, Sean, that really was the beginning of the turning point. But I had to be, you know, I had to get discipled. I, I was, I, I, you know, the part of this surrendering to Christ, yeah, I was at a different point. But I wanted the authentic. I just didn't want to make a decision you know, like I did the first time around, make a decision and think, you know, okay, apparently, you know, I got my insurance papers. Maybe if something happens, I go to heaven. I don't know. But there was no evidence yeah. of Christ in my life at all. There was there was nothing. And so it was at that point, that juncture, where there was a total surrender, and then it's been a process, you know. And how long at that point were you married to Trish? Which, by the way, you're still married, happily married, after how many years now? Yeah, we're, uh, as of next week, we are, uh, man, I better know this, <laughs> 22 years. Awesome. 22 years That's next awesome. Week. So yeah. at this juncture, though, when you made that statement, can God, can your God heal my marriage, how many years married were you? How far into the marriage were you already? We were uh, about a year and a half, two years into the marriage. Okay, so it's pretty fresh. So at the forefront of your marriage with Trish, God was now... Okay, it's time, Jim, to deal with really your past. Because if you trace, go back to, you said it, your childhood, the abuse, the mental abuse, foster care or foster home to foster home. You know, we both know that and we talk about this often in, in our church circles, in church contexts where, you know, a poverty mentality isn't about what you have or don't have materially, but a poverty mentality really is between the ears. It's in the mind. And it's a mindset that says, I'm worth nothing more than what my parents or how I grew up or the environment I lived in told me I was worth. I'm worth nothing more. And so, you know, I'm not worthy of having a long-term marriage. Maybe your parents didn't have a long-term marriage. I'm not worthy of having kids because maybe you feel like you're going to be a failure as a father. I'm not worthy of having money because maybe you grew up with no money. And so you're always thinking you're going to struggle. You're going to just survive. You're not going to thrive. A poverty mentality really has the ability to govern our self-worth to the place where now it's evidenced in how we live. It's evidenced in how we see ourselves. And it seems as though like you, even though you started to prosper financially, you had still a poverty way of thinking about your own life, which was producing this, this, this reality of failure around your life, whether it was marriage, everything else was started, seemed like it was kind of going downhill personally, but yet financially you seem to be prospering. So now God's like, Hey, Jim, I'm, I'm bringing you into a new season where I'm renewing your mind. I want everything to prosper in your life. I want your marriage, your health, your family, your parenting, all this. I want this to win and go the long haul. And so just talk a little bit about that because I feel like 
you know, you you went from this living a, a, a life that was, you know, barely making it, poor, you know, struggling. Now you're 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 making lots of money, but your marriage is falling apart. Like, bring us into a little bit of your mind in that time or your heart in that time of like how you navigated that. And then when you gave your life all in to Jesus, how you begin to see that shift now and how your mindset begin to shift. And now all of a sudden your money is God's as well. Your money is not just yours, it's God's as well. So just talk a little bit about the journey in that space and then how you started to now see the God component even in your finances. Yeah, you know, I think a couple things. One is, and you can attribute it to a lot of athletes, um, you can become so driven and, and you can go and earn money if you get into the right vehicle, but if your motive isn't right, and you're thinking that the money is going to fill the void if the money's going to fill the vacuum or the success or the notoriety and you're not grounded the right way the money is going to like it did for me the money is going to leave you in a deep spot of emptiness and so then in my case that's what it did for me is i couldn't i mean i was making money and i know some people think well you know if i was making money i'd be happy i'm going to tell you something no money amplifies what it touches you give money to a drug dealer he's going to go buy more drugs you take money to a someone that's empty, he's going to use it to get more empty. And so when now wow. you take somebody that's a believer in Christ that's rooted and you give them money, they now become a person of influence. It becomes a tool now instead of a something that fills a void. It becomes a tool for influence, for evangelism, for you know different ministries. And it, it's interesting, and I think you talked about it earlier, is, is the, the happier you are by giving it away. There's such a joy in in giving it away, and we're going to probably unpack that over the next little bit as we kind of break this down a little bit. But the journey for me was, uh, you know, I, you know, before Christ, you know, one of the things, Sean, is I, I look at the generosity. I'm going to be upfront with you. I didn't have any generosity. There, were, I didn't have any. I know, I know. I mean, I, I was thinking about it, but, you know, as I was preparing for this message, but really at the end of the day. God just put a new heart in me. And it was probably just after that snowmobile accident, okay? And there's a few things that I think that have contributed to that are, are, are factors. And so, but part of my talk, or as I'm sharing with you, Sean, is I've also made a lot of errors out there. I don't want people to think, hey, this is a guy that came in and hit a home run right from the get-go. I made a lot of errors, and I continue to make some. But it's part of the experience, and, and, and that's what's got good about God is he's full of grace. He allows us to make mistakes. You know, I remember the first when I first got saved, I tried to tell everybody about Jesus. I mean, I don't care how I did it, but, you know, sometimes as an evangelist, we can make mistakes. Sometimes as a giver, we can make mistakes, you know. But I really think, Sean, for me, uh, giving is a deed. It needs to be modeled and spurred on. It wasn't until I met another business guy that had given away a substantial amount of income that he modeled it to me, taught me, educated me that it spurred me on. You wow. see, when I became a Christian, I'm going to be honest, you know, within months, I didn't know where the word tithe was. Uh, you know, I, when I think about the word tithe, when I think about what, I mean, what does that mean? What is alms? What is f- seed faith or what is first fruits? So this has been a whole new language of understanding, but it's it's exciting, you know? So when I think about, you know, prior to, you know, when I was newly married in that juncture, I didn't have that generosity, but it developed over time 
as I matured in Christ. Remember a specific moment that kind of tipped it over for you where you stepped out, God spoke to you, I want you to be generous to this individual or in a church context or in an offering or just, I don't know, whatever it was for you. What kind of tipped it? What was there? Was there a moment where you stepped out first time? Maybe it was a little scarier. Maybe it wasn't, but that kind of begin the process for you? Was it just this conversation with this business guy that modeled it for you and then you stepped out? Like, give us, bring us in a little bit of like, what was the first step for you to come into I this? Think the, yeah, it, great question. I think the first step was I, I, had, I was in Ottawa, just about to start attending a church. I hadn't attended yet. I was referred to go meet with the pastor and, and, and his wife, and they were doing a, a church plant. And so, um, you know, I went over, we were talking about my business. He was interested in hearing my story a little bit in the business. So um, in the midst of it, um, God starts speaking to me. And I don't know if I really heard his voice before, like in terms of financial, but it was, Lord, if you're speaking to me, make it clear. And the number kept coming in was 500. And I just, but I, and I, I looked at him and I, and I don't want to share the, share the names, but I said, you know, Mr. Miss, whatever. I said, I, I, I think I'm going to give you a check for $500. And I, I've never written a check for 500 bucks. And that's a big step for a lot of people. It was a huge step for me. I'm going, 500 bucks, that's a lot of money. But as I gave it, Sean, what happened is I almost, I, I almost teared up. I couldn't wait to give it. You know, when Paul talks about, you know, the people were, they couldn't wait to the offering. I couldn't wait. I wanted to get the check out of my hand. I, was, I just felt this love that I wanted to do it. But it was interesting that when I said it to him, I was thinking 500, and then as I said it to him, the word that came out of my mouth was a month. I wasn't planning on it. So I went from zero, given nothing to nobody, and this is within a few months after that experience of the snowmobile. This is probably late summer, early fall, and I go from nothing, and I said, I just feel, and, and, and I started giving 500 a month. And, and, and the word, I guess, now we know is tithe, but I didn't know what the word meant at that point in time. But it was the overwhelming prompting of the Spirit. I had not even been to that church yet. It was sitting across that kitchen table or we met at, and it was being obedient to what I felt that prompting was. And the, the difference was the peace and the joy that I had for doing it was incredible. It's incredible. That's amazing. You know, you said joy earlier, you know, and it sounds like when you had this encounter with God and you were all in, it like shifted the sort of internal spiritual temperature of your life from probably a level of sadness and shame, feeling like you've been a failure in so many other areas of your life to all of a sudden joy. And when Paul encourages the church at Corinth and he's kind of comparing their generosity to the generosity of the Macedonians, he actually says here in chapter eight of second Corinthians verse two, they are being tested by many troubles and they are very poor. He says, but they are also filled with abundant joy, which has overflowed in rich generosity. When you all this, when you get a joy, that's why, I mean, even he, you know, God says God loves a cheerful giver. Don't give out of obligation uh, grudgingly. Don't give because you have to give because you get to. When the motivation is right, something happens like in the spirit, something happens when you step out, when it makes no sense because you have the joy of God in your life, that God has so loved you that he gave his son to die and resurrect for you on a cross resurrected out of a grave so you could have new life out of the grave of your old life and as a result be like him 
and be generous because he was generous. He so loved the world that he gave. And so when we get the joy of God, it strengthens us and then overflows by the evidence of our generosity. And so I think that's kind of what began to happen to you. And then bring us a little bit more on the journey of like, now how'd that increase? Because now obviously you went from $500 a month to as you begin to get a revelation of, you know, offerings and tithes and, you know, almsgiving and first fruits, it shifted stuff for you. Now you're like at a whole different level. You're giving, you're giving away stuff. You're giving away boats and different things. Like bring us along the journey of how then you got even deeper into understanding generosity because we're talking about the calling over us all is generosity. So we need to be revived into generosity over and over again every day by hearing stories like you, stories that you you share or that you have. So kind of help us, spur us on a little bit. What what kind of things have begun to take place after all of that, that $500 a month, and then how did God begin to stir you up even more? Well, just a you know, little scripture verse to kind of piggybacking on what you had mentioned out of, uh, out of 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and 9, very, very instrumental. But, you know, I love when he said they just couldn't wait. They could not wait they, they, to give the, the tithe or the offerings. People begged for the privilege of giving to the offering. That just tells me kind of what happened that day, how I felt inside. There was just a, a blessing. Maybe it was the Lord's presence. It was him, just that little touch. That's what happened with me is I just couldn't wait to give. And I know some people are sitting there going, man, I don't know. I, I don't know if I want that feeling. It was it was just a feeling of fulfillment. And like you said, uh, Sean, is, is there was such an, a joy, a joy that I probably couldn't describe before. You know, where it didn't matter any material things that I bought. It didn't matter what. Nothing ever could give me that same amount of joy. Probably the only thing that maybe from my perspective, maybe that's how God wired me. And I'm going to share a little bit more personal in terms of this application, but probably the only greater joy I got is when I watched someone come to into relationship with Jesus Christ. Other than that, the other, the joy of giving is, is right there. There's nothing in this world I find that can compare to it. All right. So, um, you know, in, in, uh, in, uh, you know, verse seven, the same chapter, it says, see that you excel in so many ways. It says you excel in your faith, your gifted speaker, your knowledge, your enthusiasm, and your love for us. But as we mature in Christ, this also, this area of giving, we should be growing in proportion to other areas in our life, in our walk. What I find, Sean, is there's a lot of friends, and I, I got a lot of Christian friends, and, and that sometimes the mentality behind it is, you, Jim, you know, it's kind of like you can ask me about anything. You can you can keep me accountable. You can talk to me about if I'm dealing with issues with porn. You can talk about my Bible study. You can talk about how I treat my spouse, but don't talk to me about my money. And there's like a do not ask, do not answer kind of mentality. And that's where I think there's got to be freedom because giving is a deed. It's to spur one another on in good deeds. And so for me, like you mentioned, you know, what are some of the areas that I had to, you know, kind of understand and break through? And, and, and it's been a maturing process. You see, I think some people... I'm going to, there's a disease out there. I'm going to call it in the church, Sean, and, and, and I can see it. I'm going to call it um, sclerosis of the giver, okay? Wow. And what I'm, I'm saying is it's a condition of the hand that won't allow it to move to the wallet or the purse when the offering plate is passed around. But it doesn't seem to show up when you're at a clothing store, a golf store, or a grocery store. It only appears when you're at church. All right. And I just I'm sharing that with you because I think what happens is for most of us, 
We can't have a Judas spirit when it comes to money. See, a Judas spirit, I think, is when it comes to the topic of tithing and giving, we have this attitude. And the attitude is, you know, I have a good spirit about everything else, but all of a sudden we talk about teaching, about tithing, first fruits, giving. All of a sudden it's like we strike a nerve. And I'm saying that because I see so many believers that I really believe that God wants to bless because he, that's part of his, like you said, that's part of his, he wants us to prosper in all that we do, but we hold back. And so I do want to break down, you know, a little bit about, you know, this area of tithing in the area of first fruits. And because I had to learn, it set me on a journey. And then what do I look for today? You know, when, when God calls me to give in, in, in certain areas, you know, and one thing I want to share with you, it's kind of like, Sean, if we were driving a car and, and you're driving your car and all of a sudden, you know, there's lights pop up in the dash. It's not to draw attention to the lights in the dash. It's really to draw attention and let's lift up the hood and let's see what needs to be addressed. Wow, See, I so think good. our pocketbook is an indication of our spiritual maturity. You know, they say the average Christian gives only 2.5% of their income. 2.5. of people don't even give anything. And then they wonder why, Sean, they wonder why, you know, I'm struggling. I need prayer. You know, I, I need, I need you know, they'll come to you, Sean, or they'll come to a pastor and they say, man, I need some prayer. Like, you know, if you, when you read the book of Malachi, or as I say, the great Italian prophet Malachi, just kidding, all right? But um, basically, it talks about the tithe. And, and, and we get into, and everybody knows, and, and, but here's what I want to talk to you about, okay? If a farmer in your church, Sean, came to you and said, hey, Sean, I, I need to come for prayer, and he goes, I, 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 need a, I need a bumper harvest this year. I want to pray. Can you come? And so as you, you lay hands, you and the elders lay hands on him. But just before that, you say, I know you want a great harvest and God gives the sunshine and the rain and everything. But let me ask you a question. How much seed did you sow? And if the farmer says, you know, I didn't sow any seed this year because I had some bills and I had, you know, college stuff come up and I had to get some clothes and I had to get some things. And your response would be, Hang on here, you're a farmer, but you did not sow any seed, and yet you want God to bring you a great harvest. I believe that us as listeners or viewers, we go, the farmer's probably a fool because he didn't plant any seed. Yet, we as believers, God has mandated us. He's given us incredible guidelines about the area of stewardship, possessions, money, finance, tithing, everything. You know, I know, and I'm, I'm, Sean, you're a pastor, you know this more than I do. There's 500 verses in the scripture to talk about faith. There's 500 verses to talk about prayer. But there's 2,350 to talk about possession, stewardship, finance, and money. So he knew that this was going to be a, uh, this is, this is going to be a, a blessing or a challenge. I mean, it depends how you look at it. So when I learned about the tithe, and I want to get into the spiritual component, because we all know, hey, there's, there's 10%, okay? And God makes it clear, says, if you don't give me 10%, you're robbing me. You're robbing me. Because I'll have some people say, well, I'm going to give my offering. If you're not at 10%, you're not giving an offering. Under 10% for me, okay, and I'm not the letter of the law guy, but I'm going to try to, you know, share what just my heart, my experience is 10%. I think that just prevents the curse from happening. That just, because remember, he says, I'll rebuke the great devourer. 
I don't want to devour around me. I don't want, you know, challenges in my household. I don't want challenges in my business. I don't want that. He, that's God's job. That's his promise alone is he is going to rebuke the devour. So when I'm looking at, hey, I get to partner with a God that's going to protect me like that. And I just got to give him, you know, 10%. I'd rather, I, I'm going to tell you what, I still left with 90. Sean, I, my feeling is this. I'd rather be 90% blessed than 100% cursed, all right? I'd rather live off of the 90% knowing God's going to bless you. He's going to rebuke the devourer. See, I think what a lot of people do is they take that 10%, all right? And remember, the sclerosis of the giver, they, they, they feel they can't give it at church, but all of a sudden they'll leave there and they'll go down to the mall and they'll buy some clothes with that 10% or buy a new car with a car payment. The challenge is, you know, we may have people sitting in our church, when you think about it, with stolen clothes or a stolen car, right? I mean, if you think of I mean, I, I know it's kind of funny, but in reality, they don't got no problem doing that or, you know, going out for a stolen meal. I'm not going to give my 10% of church this Sunday, but let's go for a, a big buffet after this, a dinner or at lunch after church, yeah, right? Yeah, and really, you're, you're, the reason why you're saying that, the, and the reason why you're... Yeah, and the reason why you're saying that is because, you know, we, we when we teach on the tithe, and I know a lot of people have different theological opinions on the tithe and offering, and I'm going to shift to, to I'm going to shift the perspective in a second, but on that, but I, I, um, when you're talking about the, the whole stolen clothes thing, what you're referencing, I don't know if you mentioned it, but, you know, in Malachi, when it talks about, you know, the tithe talks about how it's, it's God's. And we're to return it to him. And so when we use it for something else, it's like we're robbing God. But ultimately, we're just robbing ourselves of what was always destined to be ours. We're robbing ourselves of apprehending what God always wanted to give us. And so if someone out there is listening and has like a huge issue with the tithe, here's the thing. If we're talking about generosity, Jim mentioned it. You know, generosity should be above and beyond what was just standard from old to new. So if you want to talk about giving less than 10%, whatever, that's that's your 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 decision, whatever. But we're talking about radical generosity here. We're talking about the basics. We're talking about, if you look at the Axe Church, I mean, it was all in. People were selling their properties. And so if you want to have a theological debate, uh, those out there in, in social media land, YouTube land, wherever you're watching from, we can do that. But ultimately, we're talking about generosity. And generosity uh, and what we're talking about goes above and beyond what was just basic, you know, <laughs> in Scripture. What was just the basic. We're talking about going above and beyond. And and really, there's no argument there because, man, we don't have to give. We get to give. We It is our privilege to give back to God, a little bit of what God gave us. I mean, even when Paul instructs Timothy, he says, you know, teach the rich not to love money for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. So we know that bad fruit is always the result of a bad root. And so it's not money that's bad. It's when money is first in our priorities in life, when money is the first thing we think about and not God, you know, the, the, the one who has, who owns a cattle on a thousand hills, who, who owns it all. That that's, it's a really an illustration to show us that he, it's all his, all the resource 
the resource that you can't even see because you can't even see a thousand hills. You cannot see cattle on a thousand hills. It's impossible to see all of it at once. And so there is resource that you can't even see that is his. And so really just coming into a revelation that God is the author of it all. He owns it all. And hey, let's just be, let, let's make it our goal. There are some guys, business guys that I know that give away 90% of their income. That's how the spirit has led and they live off 10%. I mean, why wouldn't it be all of our goal to be so generous that we find a way in life to live off 10%? I mean, there's no argument there. So just wanted to just to, to bring some clarity there because really what you're talking about is when you reference Malachi, like you said, the Italian prophet, when you reference Malachi, you're talking about, you know, just what belongs to God, taking it and putting it somewhere else. It's like we're robbing him. So now just go back. Sorry to interject there, but just no, wanted to say that's that. That's good. No, that's good, John. And, that, and it's right because the first 10% is his. When we want to move into generosity, that's in the 90%. Now it's like, okay, because God, if we have 100%, 10% is his. He makes it quite clear in Malachi. And we don't want to rob him, as you mentioned, because he says, how, do you, how are we robbing you, God? It's in your tithes. And so I always say, before we get into generous, let's make sure... We're giving to the local storehouse. We're giving to our local church where we attend, where we're being fed. And then let's move into the areas of generosity. You know, it's hard to, I, I want to get, in, when I can give above the 10, now I'm moving into, okay, God, I want to be, this is where the generosity really, really, um, there's an increase. You know, I, I think what you mentioned is, you know, can tithing be legalistic? Sure it could, for sure. Uh, but so could prayer, so could church attendance, so could Bible reading, right? Um, <laughs> tithing, it, to me, it's not bondage. It's liberating, and it's about grace giving. The underlying message is, you know, sometimes with, um, um, you know, grace giving is, and I get it, Sean, because like you know, everybody will say, well, that's under the old law. And it's interesting. People, people have no problem with the old law when it comes to adultery, when it comes to don't kill your neighbor. But all of a sudden it comes to money. Well, that's under the old law. Let's not, you know, let's, and, or I've been at some churches, Sean, and they'll say, I've heard pastors say, you know, give as you feel led. Hey, I'm going to tell you something. I don't feel led all the time, but I give because it's his. I give because I, I see it, but I'll give you an example. Sean, if, if I ever felt like uh, eating how I felt led, I'm going to tell you something. I'd be 450 pounds, all right? <laughs> I, 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 we can't sometimes say give as you feel because sometimes how you feel is you, we don't want to base things on feelings. I think that's not biblical. I think at the end of the day, it becomes a part of responsibility, becomes a part of stewardship, um, it's part of us, like, you know what? We want to get to a point, and I, there's two things I really believe this. The, the two things we always have to be talking about. What is the motive of our heart for giving and being generous? I think that's number one. Uh, when, when I think about the motive, and, and number two is God getting the glory for everything. Everything. He's got to be getting the glory. It can't be nothing to do with me. It can't be drawing attention to me. So I, I believe that the motive... And we'll get into these next two, three areas here in a few minutes. But the motive for me and the motive for every believer has got to be not to give to get more, but God, I'm given to you as a form of worship. I'm given to you 
Now, if God gives you more money back, then it's to give more. It can't be give to get. I believe it's got to be give to get more to give more. That, I believe, is the motive, but it's got to be a form. It, this is worship. Lord, you've taken care of me. Look, I mean, I think about this, Sean. Look, look, look at the country we live in. Look at the city we live in. Look how blessed we are in our health. I just, I just get overwhelmed, and I think, man, how can I not want to give something like this to God. So anyways, I, I, that's I think, why I think even as it's a rule, even outside of anything scriptural, I think w- one of the things I love about the tithe and yeah, I, I could take my tithe, which the word tithe means 10%, just so everyone understands um, clearly. But the one thing I love about the tithe for me, you know, outside of like, let's take all the theological stuff off the table, the doctrinal stuff off the table for a second is it's the one area of my life that, because I've made the decision to lock into that, it puts God at the forefront every paycheck, every time. It's like, I'm not, like you said, I'm not waiting for God to lead me. Like God leads us in our radical offerings. In fact, the only time I've really seen the crazy, crazy financial breakthroughs in my life is all of the giving above and beyond the 10%. That's my been our journey. And I, I see that in scripture all over the place. And an offering, like you said, really is a sacrificial gift. It's a, a willing, voluntary act outside of my just putting God first in my finances all the time in my tithe. When I give above and beyond as an offering, it's like, God, I don't have to. It's not even yours. I'm not believing there's any scriptural component behind it's yours. Yes, all my resources is yours. But an offering is like, I get to offer this to you. It's a sacrifice And it's going to do something. It's going to shift something. And all the financial breakthroughs I've ever seen in my own life on anything or even other areas of my life in family. And I I honestly, I I could trace back to the radical, even when I was struggling the most and I've emptied my bank account multiple times on multiple occasions and seen incredible results as a result of obedience to stepping out in an offering. But really, ultimately, what we're talking about is motive. Like, what's your motive? Why are you doing what you're doing? God breathes on the motive. God looks at the motive. It it was like when God looked at the widow and the rich, and he was watching the money box, because it would would have been at the front, and he was watching the money box, watching the people put in their offering in the money box in the temple. Jesus looked at the widow looked at the rich and the rich gave out of their surplus. Great. They gave more money than the widow did who had nothing. But God said to the widow, because the widow gave all that she had, even though it wasn't, so God wasn't measuring the, 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 uh, the amount of the gift. He was measuring the, um, the, the, the faith in the heart that the widow was all in, surrendered it all. And that's, he said, that's going to be remembered forever. The same thing with Mary, who poured out the the year's worth of wages of the perfume. Like, this is going to be spoken about in history. I mean, she's pouring out, a, she's, she's given me the best right now. She's pouring out it all. And I think that's what we're talking about. What's the motive? What's driving your generosity? Because if you can't get a hold of the right motive, you're not going to be a generous individual. If your motives are bad, you're just going to end up, you know, you know, doing things that you regret doing because your motives are bad. So I just wanted to, to add that in there to what we're talking about. Great, great. No, um, no, that's excellent. I, I think, um, you know, a couple of the other areas that were um, helped me, Sean, was, 
you know, even the area of first fruits and alms. And, and, and again, a lot of it's been just the spirit prompting me listening. I mean, you know, when I think about the word alms and I, and, and this is where I really want to just, I'm going to press in a little bit harder and I'll need to interject on a couple of these. But when I think about the area of alms, um, I think about the poor and the widows and the orphans and, and, you know, when, when, when Jesus said, you know, do not let the right hand know what the left hand's doing, I believe this is in the area of alms. This is where it could bring attention or embarrassment to the recipient. And, and I just look at it like this is an area that I think when Jesus talked about it, you don't want to draw attention. So I, I give an example. If you and I knew someone in your church and they were struggling or something with... Um, uh, finances or, you know, and, and all of a sudden I, you know, I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a member of your church and I get around and say, yeah, I covered the rent payment. I bought him some clothes and I gave him some food. They're really hurting that, you know, God doesn't want us to do that. I mean, the key is to be very, very secret about something like that. So when I think about, um, you know, alms, I think it's extremely important that who's around us, and this is above the tide. This is so many times there's people around at different seasons that we want to be open to what the Spirit is leading and what the Spirit is saying to us. So I, I think that to me was one area that, um, you know, that early in my journey, God kind of revealed to me just, just, just being very, very open to the leading of your Spirit. I think that's what, you know, that helped me to, to a, probably at a big, bigger degree than I ever thought at that point in time. Now, like, and, and you, one of the things that like, I've always appreciated about you is that you've been also, you know, not just are you trusting God with your finances on your day to day, but you've been very generous with people in general, just personally, like no, no spiritual really like dynamic behind it. You've just been really generous with people. And I feel like that's kind of what I, I feel like generosity looks like. It's not just in one context, you know, you're generous, you trust God with your finances and you, you know, you're talking about the storehouse, the local church, the body of Christ, you know, beyond that, you've been very generous with leaders. You've been very generous with your stuff, you know, lending your stuff, you know, giving us your stuff away. I feel like you've really modeled that. And like, how did you come into that? Because it's one thing to, you know, to, to, to trust God with your finances in the context of like the body of Christ and not that people are separate from the body of Christ, but you've been just very generous with like sending people away on vacations and doing crazy things like that. And that speaks volumes because man, I, I and that's always been Michelle and I's prayer. God, let us be able to do radical stuff like that one day, like send people away on like five star vacations, send people away and, you know, buy them a house you know, like it's, it's not a selfish thing. It's God. Like I, I want to be able to excel. That was the word that you shared earlier. Like the Paul's prayer was that we would excel. So we're starting here at generosity. Now, how do we excel in our generosity? Okay. I've been generous here. I gave my car away over here. I've done this. I've done that, but I want to excel now beyond that. I want to keep going. I want to grow in this gift of generosity. A lot of people don't have a heart to grow in generosity. They just want to kind of stay in maintenance mode. How did you grow in generosity? And what were some of the roadblocks that you had to push through? I think, uh, you know, in Hebrews 10, 24, it tells us to spur one another on toward love and good deeds. And we get spurred on a lot of times, but not what we're taught, but, but what we see and what we're, what we're modeled. And um, one thing I want to say, Sean, is, um, you know, being in business, sometimes you're a leader, you're isolated, you, you know, some of the, uh, you know, let's just say um, 
challenges. After meeting pastors, uh, God gave me a heart for people in ministry, pastors that are leaders, and a lot of it, and this is not necessarily to, to toot any pastor's horn or anything like that, but the amount of criticism that a pastor takes, uh, and it probably because there's a spiritual warfare component, but the amount of... Um, um, you know, criticism you take. I mean, it, it, you probably, you know, out of, for every one compliment, I believe most of them take 10 criticisms. And I know they're not in it for any other reason that God's called them. But I looked at it and I said, man, I am so thankful I'm not called to be a pastor. I don't know how y'all do it. I'm just, and I just, I, I'm being genuine, totally honest with you. And so God gave me a heart, not only for ministry leaders and pastors, there's a guy in the, t in the New Testament called Onesiphorus, and Paul talked about him that he has a ministry of refreshment. And I just see sometimes as leaders, they just need to be refreshed, they need to be encouraged, they need to be loved, and sometimes that could be a vacation. Sometimes things take money to do things. But what I look for is, and Jesus said this, and I'm going to push the envelope with everybody today that's hearing this message. When David was facing Goliath, Yet there was a, a spiritual component side, but he also said, what's the prize? What, you know, what do I get for, you know, killing this giant? You know, what he wanted to know is what's the reward? And I'm sharing that with you because I think it's okay to, you know, have a heavenly focus and an earthly reward. You know, so when I look at now at ministry and I look at generosity, I'm looking for ministries that got fruit. You know, Jesus says, look for the fruit. Sean, when I, when I think about yourself and in and, and kingdom culture, I think about the salvations you have, the baptisms you have, the healings you have, uh, you know, discipleship. I look at everything and I'm going, that excites me. To me, I'm putting my seed into something that God says, put it where the fruit is. I see where the fruit where that is. Okay. Now when a farmer sows seed, I'm just going to let you know, like when he puts a tomato seed in the ground, it comes back 40 to 60 tomatoes. He doesn't go, I put a seed in the ground and I hope I get a tomato back. He is expecting a good harvest. So when I move into the offering side, I'm saying, Lord, I'm giving X amount of dollars to this ministry. I'm praying for it to come back so I can give more money. And that's what the Lord has done. But sometimes we have this thing in the church. I mean, there's two different extremes. We got, and I I hope this comes across right way. You get the prosperity gospel, which is give and you're always, he's going to, he's going to give it back to you. And, 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 but I still think it always, always comes down to the motive of the heart and glorifying God. Those are the two most important things. If your heart isn't right, Okay, you could give it. He may not bring it back to you. You've got to say, God, give me a new heart. Give me the heart you want. And it's got to be about glorifying him. But when I put money and I look for something like a, a church like yourself and other ministries that we support, I see fruit. I give to the fruit. If, if you said, Jim, we're, you know, we're building a building. How would you like to put money in the building? I'm not that guy. I don't get excited about bricks and mortar. I, I'm just not. But you, you, when you do outreaches and sal or salvations and healings and discipleship and baptisms, and man, that, that fires me up. That, that, that's what gets me excited. So when I do give, because now I'm, I'm not above the tithe. I'm not in my first fruits. I'm given, all right, because I see the fruit. But now I also expect, I say, God, I'm, I'm praying you bring it back 30-fold, 60-fold, 100-fold. A farmer doesn't plant seed and go, well, I hope that seed comes back. He expecting 60 or 100-fold. That can't be our motive, but why can't we say, God, I'm, I'm, I'm looking for it. I'm expecting you to bring that back, not so I can hoard. Remember, hoard is a way of 
replacing God. That's not the, what we're trying to do. It's Lord, if you bring it back, I love to you know keep sending it different ministries. And so going back to when God really grabbed my attention in those early years, I was supporting it started with one church. Then it became one or two pair of church ministries. Now today, everything included, we're about 20 some ministries that we support in a yearly basis. And what I do, Sean, just because I want you to know this is my journey, is I usually try to do it at the beginning of the year. I try to give my first fruits always. Or give, you know, by the time this time of year comes around, I've given my whole year of offerings, first roots, tithing. I've given everything. People say, well, why are you doing that? Because I don't want to deal with the temptation. I don't want to deal with something when I know who is the great provider. See, the difference is some people think, well, their job, they went and got it. I don't think, I don't believe that. I believe God's given me my business. But now when, when you say you do that, though, I'm just practically speaking, I'm actually curious. When you do that at the beginning, are you anticipating the fullness of what's happening by the end of the year? I mean, because you must have, it's not just the same thing all the time, right? I mean, you have bumps and stuff. I mean, right? You're not, you're not like doing it all in January and then done for the year. No, That's not I, what you're I saying. usually, yeah, no, I, I, I do, a, I try to do it in January and I try to do it before June. I, I for me, I mean, and, and this, I don't know if this even ties in the message. The reason why I do it in June and, and, and I, and I'll tell you, I'll, I'll give you one other example too. I do it in June because a lot of times ministries, um, people forget to give during their summer months, the July and August months. And I said, you know what? I want to, I want to give and most people don't give in those months. But the other thing is, so for me, it becomes, uh, um, I got to step out in faith. See, a lot of it, when I give my giving, Sean, this probably answer your question, in those early stages, I, it creates a dependency for me upon God, saying, Lord, I've got to trust you for the remaining part of the year. But so are you else. giving even before the money comes in, though? That's what I'm asking. Like, if you're at the beginning of the year, you're yeah. giving even before the money comes in. That's right. Exactly. Yeah. So it's almost like a first fruit concept. I'm given almost everything the first month, month and a half. I'm pretty well given everything in terms of revenue and income all within that first, you know, four or five months, you know, anticipating kind of like I'm planting all my seed in the ground as a farmer in the month of May, expecting my harvest in October. Well, I'm doing all my planting in January right up until usually May or June is my last of it, knowing I'm expecting my harvest coming by the end of the year. So d- just define the difference between what you're talking about, about first fruit, the tithe, and the tithe. Yeah, well, this, again, if you're under, and it's not a rule of thumb. It's not like, okay, okay, I made 40 grand. I got to give four grand to the Lord. When you look back on it, you should be way above the tithe. If you include everything with tithe, everything. When I looked at first fruits, okay, and this is me. This is not, people are listening to this have got to unpack this before God. This is what I remember thinking. And it, it came out of uh, Exodus, and I could find the verse here in a few minutes. But let's say I'm making four grand a month at my job. And all of a sudden they say, Jim, we're going to give you a $2,000 a month raise next month. I would say, okay, the first 2000 I get is a raise. I'm giving all that to God. That's my first fruit. That's my increase. He gets it all. Because I'm because I live without it so far. I'm saying, Lord, you've blessed me. I've already lived without it so far. You're giving to me this as a gift. I'm giving you it all. Knowing I'm going to get all the other 2000 months coming, but I give him the first fruit right away. Let's get right. the, So the, you're separating the first fruits from the tithe, which is also separate from the offering. And I think what like ultimately what you're saying, and people get confused like, man, there's so many like little nuances and it's not a legalistic thing you you've been on a journey where this is how god has led you and you can see the result of it in your personal life 
your family, your business, everything you're touching, you see the result of you trusting God with what you have, I'm assuming, right? Like you're seeing the result of it. You know what it is, Sean, is you hit it earlier. It's the presence and the joy of the Lord that nothing else in this world could give you. When I say joy, and I want to just say this, joy to me is defined as strength, authority, boldness, those three areas. I just have a different influence, a different authority, and a different boldness in every setting I'm in, whether it's business, every setting. You know, in Matthew 5, 16, it says, let your light shine before all men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. I believe that verse for us believers is for the Christians and the non-Christians. It's for people to see, you know, that I work with that are non-Christians, they can see the boldness, they can see the joy, they can see the presence, and I really believe that comes from this, from this, you know, partnership with God. When I say partnership, really, it's just about, I, I can't wait to give it to Him, right? So, you know, come, I hope I answered that question, but for me, it, it, I give it the beginning of the year for a lot of reasons. Number one, it's the trust. Number two, humility. I know where it comes from. I know he gave it to me. I know there's better people probably in business, right? Dependence, Lord, I've got to count on you now for the last, you know, six, seven months a year to come through. And it's yours anyway. Like you said, all the the cattle in the thousand hills, he owns it. I see this as this is God's business. This is not my business. And, And if a believer can come to a point where he sees his job as God gave me this job, this is a gift from him, then we're going to look for areas and ways where we can, you know, give generously. And I know, you know, Sean, so you beginning, you said this is about revived generosity. For me, you know, 20 years ago, it was, let's talk about birthing generosity because it was never generous. There's some people yeah. that are going to hear this. Then you can't revive something that's not there. Maybe it's about birthing. It's about stepping out. What I love about this is God knows the heart. And if you're, if the person's heart, you know, as people are listening to this is saying, Lord, I'm struggling in this area. Can you help me become a more generous giver? I want to be that person. God will honor that prayer. Now, when he honors that prayer, let me tell you, the enemy is going to try to choke that seed out right away. He's coming to take that doubt and that seed. There's no question. There is a spiritual battle that happens at the time of, especially when you start moving into the offering stage, when you're above the tithe. Right, because you're going. Well, you know, I got to pay this bill. I got to get brakes in my car. You know, you've heard of all, and every believer's listening knows what I'm talking about. But that's the real battle, you know. And I really think it's yeah. You probably get the job done on the brakes, but man, you get in the offering. Man, you'd be amazed. Maybe those brakes are going to last another two years. I don't know what the answer is, but I'm letting you know that from my perspective, is it's 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 the it's the joy that you get. It's it's. It's incredible. So just a couple more questions, just because I, th- I think this is really good, what you're talking about right now in this last component of it. What, what would you say to the person that says, so many people out there are saying stuff like, well, any, just even take the church thing out of it for a second. Like, I just can't be generous because I don't, I'm struggling. I don't have enough. Maybe I'm on welfare. I, I'm barely making it as it is. I have debt, like, through the roof. Uh, barely making ends meet. Like, what would you say to that person that sort of has the list, the laundry list of reasons why justifiably it's hard? It's a struggle for them to feel generous at any level. What would you say to them? Um, 
Because, I mean, you were there. You were there at one point. I, I was there, and here's what I would say, and I'm not telling you to do this. That's why I'm not a pastor, because I'd probably be fired within two weeks. But if I had people come to me for prayer, and they said, you know, we're really struggling, I, I, I mean, that's why, I'm, that's why I'm letting you know. That's why probably I'm not a pastor. I'd say, well, you know, let's look at a few things. Number one, how's your tithe going? Why can't we can we can ask everybody about any? And I'm not talking to you here. I'm talking about the church at large. But we can ask anybody anything in the church, but we can't ask about money. And I'm saying I'd be sitting there going, number one is you know what? Let's start trusting God and tithing our way out of the situation because the devourers got you under a curse. All right. So to answer your question, Elisha, when there was the poor widow in Second Kings, I think it was chapter four, verse two, and Elisha asked, he says, "What do you have in your house?" And she replied, I only have a very small jar of oil, oil, of olive oil. You see, wherever someone is at, they've got something to give. They've got to start there. That's the key. God's something. Key. They've got to have something. God's going to, he, when Jesus fed the 5,000, I think it was Mark 6, I think it was verse 38. He said, how much, how much bread do we have? He says, go and find out. They came back and they reported, we got five loaves and two fish. They had to find something for God to bless it. We can't have this, uh, respectfully, we can't have this welfare mentality in the church. That God's just going to drop money bags down. Because, you know, there's this, there's this theology I think we built as Christians that the wealth of the wicked is stored up for the righteous. We built our whole theology about this one verse that we're going to be able to sit at home and money bags are going to drop. That's unbiblical. That's not biblical. And so I really think is... They've got to start, they got, they got to move. I mean, hey, if you can't get your tithe this month, say, God, I'm going to hit, I'm going to do what I can. I'm going to hit 3%, 5 but you got to get to 10 just to rebuke the devourer because that's, remember, I don't know, and you know more than I do in this, but he says, test me in this area. I don't know about any else, but I don't think there's any other testing except in this area. So my counsel and I'm not a pastor, and probably somebody's listening to me and going, man, I'm glad he's not. But, you, you, you know, <laughs> I, I would say, man, I'd say, how's your tithing going? That's where I would, I would come in. Now, I'd still pray, but, Sean, if the farmer came to you and said, well, you know, I didn't put any seed in the ground, you'd be very, have a different approach. I mean, you're a loving guy. I know how you are. You'd probably say, well, we'll pray for you. But at the end of the day, you'd want to pull him aside and say, look at buddy. May, you got to put that seed in the ground. But... We need to talk to that way to our, you know, our people we go to church with. I think it's good. I think it's good. I mean, I've had like thousands of conferences. I teach a whole series. I've, t I've taught like thousands of hours on finances out of the scripture over the last 16 years at least. And um, it's one of my favorite topics actually to talk about. I love it. I mean, like you said, Jesus talked about it more than prayer. Um, there's thousands of verses on money, possessions, and stewardship in scripture. And I love it. And I, and I, I love the topic. And there's just so much, it's like unnecessary controversy around this whole tithe offering, the whole thing. And people say, well, I split my tithe up over multiple places and whatever. And like, whatever, let's just drop all of that for a second. The one thing that I always come back to is like, you may not believe in the tithe. You may not believe in offering whatever, but there's one thing that God does say in scripture one time, and it's test me. It's the only time he ever says test me. So you can take that, put it under the old covenant, under the law, and, for, and you, can, you can argue that all you want until you're blue in the face. But the reality of it is, here's the thing. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And if he said it once, test me, just test him. 
If you have an issue, you don't know what you believe about the tithe, about giving. There's no hurt in stepping out in faith and seeing what if we've been missing it all along because we haven't put God first in our finances and the tithe just happens to be one way that we can do that. I think to me, it's just simple. Like all doctrinal differences aside, it's simple. And for me, as a result, man, if my tithe, it, what, I, what I pray about my tithe is that not only does it model um, consistency and trusting God uh, in my finances for my kids, that they grow up in a culture where like daddy and mommy put God first in their finances. Well, how? How do you explain that to anybody? Well, I'm just led by the spirit once in a while. No, no, no. I put God first in my finances. My kids see it because when I get paid, the first thing that goes out is that 10% into the house of God. I trust God with my tithe. I just trust him. Everything else in the offering, and we do these big offerings every year as a ministry at the end, especially at the end. And and man, the, the testimonies that come out of those offerings are just wild. And I mean, I my, our testimonies as a family where my kids have seen us literally empty our bank account like multiple times in radical faith has always been the breeding ground for the greatest breakthroughs financially in and through my life. And so I think ultimately what we're talking about, we're hitting on the topic of motive. We're talking about how joy needs to be a driver in the seat of our financial you know, directive, you know, we're talking about, um, you know, getting a heart, reviving it for those that have become stale in their generosity and then birthing it. And then ultimately, you know, I would love for you to just go here for a little bit. There are people that, you know, they haven't even let Jesus into their life yet. They're on a journey. They're searching. They're not sure, um, you know, how life's going to go down. Maybe they've just started a business. They're unsure. They've never let God into their business. Um, you know, and, and they, and maybe they're a new believer out there watching right now. And I'd love for you just to quickly just bring them along a journey, help them to come into, you know, receiving Jesus like you did for the first time. Maybe they're a business guy. Maybe their marriage is falling apart like you, and they can relate to your story and they're watching right now. What would you say to them to help them come into an encounter with Jesus for the first time to trust God with everything that God has given them? And then after I'd love it, if you just also just minister to us, pray for us, Pray for as a culture, kingdom culture, but also as well, those that are watching and will watch this after. Pray for us that we would have like a new spurred on generosity in this next season. Good, Sean. You know, one thing I just before I get into that is in a season like we just came through with the pandemic, it, it the Christian has got to rise up more than ever. And this is where... Um, you're, they're going to have a temptation to hold on to things a little tighter in their money. And this is where God's saying, no, trust me now. This is the time to give. Give like you've never given before. And watch what God can do. I mean, that's what I really believe in this season. This is the, you know, I always I always think that God always works on a different different schedule. Like when it doesn't make sense to give, give. And right now that's where we're at. It doesn't make sense to give because people don't know the future. This is a time to give more than you've ever given. That's what I believe. Um Hey, let me just uh, bridge what you talked about. First of all, there'll be people out there and, and there'll be people listening to this uh, message and maybe their marriage is in a position of like ours was in a you know, hopelessness and despair and, and, and probably you're, you know, you might be even on that journey of, you know, uh, exiting out of the marriage. And I want to let you know that it's not, it's not too late. God's got a plan. 
You know, maybe there's some of you that are not a believer. Maybe you haven't made a decision for Jesus Christ. Or maybe you haven't made a commitment for Jesus. Maybe you made a decision, but you haven't made a commitment. You know, one athlete, Sean, I want to talk about just before I get into this, is Tom Brady. Tom Brady is one of the most reputable, um, probably the best quarterback in our lifetime in the NFL. Uh, he's played in over nine Super Bowls, all right? Nine of them, won six of them. Think about this, okay? Won six, unheard of athlete in our lifetime. Sean, when he was in an interview in 60 Minutes, this is after he had three Super Bowl rings. This is what he said. He said, you know, why do I have three rings? And he still think, he still, I still think there's something greater out there for me. He goes, you know, I know a lot of people would say, man, listen, you've reached the pinnacle of life. You've got all the goals. You've got the dream life. You've got everything this world has to offer. And he goes, this is what he says, quote, unquote, I just think, God, there's got to be something else out there. I love being quarterback of this team. I love playing football but it's not cracked up to be what I thought it should be. What I'm sharing with you is all the success he received, all the notoriety, all the fame, he cannot fill that void. That emptiness, that vacuum, just like I had, just like maybe you're out there and you have, you got that gnaw in your gut, you're trying to fill that void, that emptiness, that vacuum, that hole. You know, Rolling Stone magazine did an interview with Freddie Mercury just before he tragically died of AIDS. And he was, you know, they say his live performance has been ranked as the greatest live performance in the history of rock music. In a quote in an interview, he said, can you imagine how terrible it is when you've got everything in this world and you're still desperately lonely? So you can have everything in this world. You can have all the money. You can hoard the stuff. But you're going to be lonely. You're going to be desperate. Michael Phillips Right, an unprecedented athlete in our lifetime, won 19 gold medals as a swimmer. 2012 Olympics, he almost lost everything because he got caught drinking and driving and smoking marijuana. He lost all his sport contracts. He was contemplating suicide. And then a guy named Ray Lewis, a professional NFL football player, gave him a book and led him to a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. You see, I've been that person where I've had it all. I've had the money, I've had the notoriety, I've had the fame, I had the material things, but there was, I was, something was missing. And I had that void in that hole. You see, what I had to understand is, see, Christianity is about God's way of reaching man. Religion is man's way of reaching God. See, I wanted the authentic. I wanted that relationship with Jesus Christ. You know, and I had some questions, like a lot of you have questions. See, I thought, Sean, I thought I was a good person. I thought it was that guy. I thought my good away, my bad, God's a loving God, I'm in. And I'll never forget what Lyle, he, a friend of mine, sat down with me. He brought me to a scripture verse, and it was Romans 3.23. And he said, Jim, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. No matter how good of a person I was, I, can't, I couldn't get in. But he, this is the good news. He said, John 3.16. John 3.16, he says, for God so loved the world, he gave, he gave, he was generous. He gave his one and only son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. See, I struggle. See, because it's a gift. Romans 6, 23 says, it's a gift from God through his son, Jesus Christ. It's a gift. You don't have to earn it. Sometimes us business guys, eight personalities, we want to go earn it. We want to become a better person. We can't. This is something we've got to accept.
And so Jesus said himself when he walked on the earth, in John 14, 6, he says, I'm the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. He's the only way. If there was another way, we could probably go another way. He's the only way. And so I had to come that and make that decision. So if you're like me, it's going to take a step of humility for a lot of us. You know, Romans 10, 9, it says, if we confess by mouth and believe in our heart that Jesus is Lord, we will be saved. And so if you're listening to this message, I'm going to have two prayers. I'm going to have three, Sean, if you're okay with that. One is going to be a call to salvation. Second one is a call to recommit. I want to walk you through that. And then we'll talk a bit about that on the financial side. So if you're there, I'm going to just pray and, and walk you through a bit of a prayer. And God knows your heart. This is a prayer between you and this is your heart. He knows your heart. Okay? So this is what I want to share with you. Okay? Uh, Lord Jesus, and you can repeat it after me, Lord Jesus, I know that I am a sinner. And I want you to know that I want you to come into my life and be Lord of my life. I believe what the scriptures say about who you are and that you died for me. I also believe that you were resurrected from the dead and now you live in heaven. And I accept your gift now and I ask you to come in my life and be Lord of my life. I surrender everything to you in the name of Jesus Christ. Now, if you've said that prayer today, it's very important that you tell someone. You text Sean, text someone you know, because when you go through that, see Romans 12, 8 says, acknowledge me before men and I will acknowledge you before my father. Deny me before men and I'll deny you before my father. It's so important that you let someone know you made a decision. Because why? Because there's an enemy. He's going to tell you you haven't changed. You're the same person. Right? God's mad at you. There's no way he could forgive you for what you've done. There's just so many variables. Okay? You want to get it out there. Now, there's some of you out here that maybe you were like I was the first nine years. You made a decision for Christ. You go through the motions of going to church. You even bring your Bible, which, you know, Maybe it's like your fig leaf. You carry it to church, but you don't open it the other six days a week. I was that guy. I would carry it, never open it. I just thought it was like, you know, part of my uniform. But maybe you're that person for nine years. You made a decision, but you never surrendered your life to Christ. And you now are saying, you know what? I want to make a commitment. I understand the day, the hour, the season we're living in. These are rare times. We're probably moving into what many people call the end times. And I want to be... Not only, it's not based on my capability, it's based on my availability for God. I want him to use me in these days. So maybe that's a recommitment. If that's you, you just say, Heavenly Father, I've gotten off track. And Lord, and, and I believe this prayer is for all of us, myself included. We can go into seasons where, you know, when even when it comes to this area of giving, where we can move into seasons where we get selfish for a bit. And we miss that prompting, we miss that voice where you've prompted us. And so, Father, as I, as I pray between, before all of us here, Lord, I, I ask for forgiveness for even my own life about areas where I might have missed it and got selfish or wanted to do what I wanted to do instead of give to the, you, the great, the, the, the great commission, the great mandate. It's not, about, it's not about the man, it's about the mandate. It's not about the person, it's about the purpose, Lord. It's, it's the purpose you've called us into in the name of Jesus Christ. And so, Father, um, we pray for believers out here today 
Maybe people like myself that are struggling that they made a decision, but they've never made a commitment for Christ. They've never made that surrender. But today, Lord, they're figuratively, they're on their knees. And they're saying, Lord Jesus, I'm different. I surrender today. I surrender everything. I want to make a commitment to you. Would you come in? Would you be Lord of my life? And there's others that maybe just it's time of confession, time of repentance. Maybe a time where you say, Lord, and, and, and in my own life, I, 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 I want to be transparent with you. I get into waves where idolatry can sleep, you know, step in. You know, I've caught myself, Sean, in this recent um, pandemic where I felt like the Israelite uh, when they left Egypt, when all of a sudden they just, they wanted to go back to Egypt. And I remember, you know, being bottled up in the quarantine. I'm going, man, I hope we just go back to the way it was. And I don't know if it's going to go back to the way it was because we're, we're on mission with you, Father. And Lord, I, I don't want to put anything ahead of my relationship with you. See, what I love about if you're listening to this today is he knows your heart. He wants a repentant heart. He wants a surrendered heart. He wants that daily. And we can do it every day. We can die to self every day. So Father, we just commit everything to you, this whole uh, talk. And Father, whatever wasn't from you, as my brothers and sisters listen to this, Father, let those words fall to the ground. Father, let there be no condemnation. Father, that each brother and sister would be spurred on, Lord. Giving is a good deed. It's a privilege. It's an honor. It's a blessing. Lord, we don't want to rob people of a blessing. Father, I hope that they were inspired. And I hope new seed has been deposited, or like Sean said, revived. The seed's there. We're just putting more water on it. But they're spurred on. Because, God, you've called us for this day, this season, and hour. Out of any time in history, we were born for a time such as this. So we give this time to you now. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Amen. Thank you so much, Jim. I really appreciate that. That was uh, an amazing conversation. Now we're talking about revive generosity, the calling over us all. And as you know, the purpose of these chats are for them to be real spontaneous in nature, organic, raw, and real. And I just appreciate, Jim, your humility, your honesty, and uh, just believing that this conversation is one step closer to helping you become a more generous individual in every area of your life. Well, that's it for today. Thank you so much, Kingdom Culture, and all of our extended family, those that are watching and will watch this later on. We're so glad that you tuned in with us, and uh, we pray that you join us next week as well. Before you leave, just tune out and watch this last quick video.